Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 97, and we're recording on Thursday, March 12th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com, and we're going to try to keep a lid on it today. My lid is not so tightly secured. <laughs> I don't know. My lid is around here somewhere. <laughs> I don't even know if I have a lid uh, anymore, man. It, uh, we've had a tough day on the internet. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but first, we've had a good week on we've the internet. We've had a good week on the internet. And that's the thing we should be focusing on, though we're going to fail miserably too. But let's start from there and talk about something good. We're complex people. We can hold multiple yeah, ideas in our true. head that's at one excellent time. Excellent point. Excellent point. So the good, the good, 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 good is that Book Riot Live tickets went on sale this week. If you haven't listened in a while or you're just catching up, Book Riot Live is our first event. We're holding it in New York, November 7th and 8th. It's going to be awesome, and we've been able to announce some of the speakers. Uh, we have Beverly Jenkins, Daniel Jose Older, Danielle Henderson, who created feminist Ryan Gosling and is awesome, Lori Hulse Anderson, Lauren Bird from the Harry Potter Alliance, N.K. Jimison, Mark Oshiro, who's famous on Twitter for Mark Does Stuff, Sarah McLean, who is our house favorite romance author, Peter Mendelson, who is an awesome Random House book designer, Sona Chaira Poitra, uh, who works for uh, We Need Diverse Books and is an author as well, and many more, and they're still coming. That's just the beginning lineup. We're going to have two days of awesome panels and games and all kinds of bookish events. And the tickets are $169 for the two-day event, but the first 250 are on sale at a 50 50- dollar discount. I keep saying percent, but that's a lie. It's dollar, a $50 discount for $119. we have sold more than half of those now that we're recording on Thursday. So if you're listening to this show on yeah, Sunday night or Monday morning, probably still be a couple of those there will be a few, yeah. but not many. So if you're sure that you're going to come to New York in the fall or you live in New York and you're going to come hang out with us for a few days, check out bookriotlive.com. Get your tickets today. Look at the awesome list of speakers. We're excited. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. And we're going to do a live show then. Maybe then we'll really take the cursing lid off. Like maybe we'll do like a live show that we don't actually publish. Oh, yeah. I took my cursing lid off within about four minutes of sitting on a Publishers Weekly panel at the Random House building a couple (laughs) of weeks ago. So I'm ready for that. I'm good. Uh, Because listeners might not know that we we keep it clean for iTunes because it's, you know, and also, frankly, a lot of I know people listen when they're cars with their kids and they're Mm -hmm. we want to be mindful of that. And we don't need to cuss as much as I guess, you know, anybody who follows me on Twitter is not surprised that I'm cursy. Both of us can cuss. In it fact, we've done a lot of it right before we started recording. <laughs> we should have recorded that as yeah, that a bonus content. Dark. So maybe we'll work blue uh, at Book Riot Live. <laughs> Jeff Rebecca's uh, swearing hour. <laughs> and so we've had Daniel Jose Older was a guest on Reading Lives. He's going to be there at Book mm-hmm. Riot Live. Uh, Sarah McLean's Sarah been McLean, on Reading Lives. Been on Reading Lives. Pete Mendelson. A bunch of these are folks that we've had on the Reading Lives show. We've had them in the quarterly box. We've written about them all over Book Amanda will be there. We'll get her on board for some part of, I mean, she's going to do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Some part of a um, podcast situation. Rita is going to do a live Dear Book Nerd. And 
Preeti and Paul are going to do a live version of the O Comics podcast from our sister site panels. It's going to be all kinds of fun. Yeah, we'll have to get some people you know from uh, the site. Um, you can hear and talk to us, and we're we're really excited to meet a bunch of people too. Yeah, it's We've already be seen so some. Great. Some of you have have mentioned that you're coming and. We're very excited, and so I, I hope everyone feels comfortable coming up and talking to us, and we want to talk to you over the course of the weekend and get to know you a little bit. And um, you, at least, are very tall and easy to locate. I am. I have an excellent um, bald head that ref- <laughs> reflects light well. I'm about 6'4", so usually you can find me in a crowd. Uh, and, it, it, you know, the, one thing to, that's worth saying about it is this isn't the kind of event where you're coming principally to see a bunch of authors. That's, that's the one thing we're going to do. But one thing we want to do is like the connection between people going and us yeah. and the attendees. Like, this isn't a thing where you're going to go and just, you know, be in a crowded room of 800 people to see. I don't even, you know, I don't want to besmirch anyone, like go see John Green or something like that. Cause that's not, the venue's not set up like that. We've intentionally picked it that it really doesn't work to have like a huge, like, we've had some pitches from people of like authors that we've, you know, I've had initial conversations with and we realized they would just break the space that it would it would take down the kind of vibe um that we want to have and so we're really trying to keep it where we're gonna have authors that are interesting but they're not also gonna overwhelm the spirit of what we're trying to do this is a readers conference Mm -hmm. it's not a a books conference really it's not even it's not an author's conference it's a readers conference and a bunch of activities that aren't just geared towards seeing authors speak so you'll be able to do that but the stuff that happens on Book Riot, you know, on a good day when our cursing lids don't have to come off, um, <laughs> where there's warmth and fun and community. And we know that a lot of you that listen to the show and a lot of you that read the site have met each other, you know, on the comments or on Twitter yeah. or on Facebook and have a sense of, you know, not being alone as as someone who is reading Book Riot or as someone who's coming to the event. And so we want to just bring that to life. And we have a lot of uh, what I think great ideas about how that can happen and how we can all hang out together and have an awesome couple of days that are not like anything that's being done in book events. And it's also worth saying that we're not siloing the panels to topical by Mm. genre. Um, Jen Northington, who is our events director, has this wonderful, incredible vision that we all share of incorporating diverse coverage of genre and diverse coverage of diverse authors into all of the programming. So you won't see a romance panel, a sci-fi panel, you know, a feminism panel, you're going to hear about romance and sci-fi and feminism and whatever else threaded through hopefully all of the content. Um, So rather than a siloed conversation, it'll just be part of the fabric of what's there. Yeah. Um, All right. So we're gonna be talking about more about that, but go to bookriotlive.com. You can see the speakers have been announced. There'll be more. There's going to be an evening event at the Strand that it's an additional cost, but you know, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. Um, there's going to be some other evening things, and uh, you'll start to see what we're going to do there. If you have questions, of course, you can email us, podcast at bookriot.com, and we'll answer them best we can. Let's do our first sponsor. It's Scribd. Scribd is back. Scribd is a subscription book service. It's not just an ebook service. It's not. Uh, that gives you unlimited access to a library of more than half a million ebooks and audiobooks and comics. Best publishers around from major houses like HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster, HMH, small presses that do a lot of interesting things, McSweeney's, Counterpoint, Counterpoint Press, Tin House. Mm-hmm. With a subscription, subscription is $8.99 a month. 
more than 30,000 audiobooks, and you're going to get some big new releases on there. It's not just all backlist. There's some front list on there. A lot of, the, a lot of things we've talked about the show uh, on the show actually have been there as well. A lot of comics is too. Um, oh, and Jen is reading a comic on there called Hexed right now that's about... Yeah, it's got her all excited. Lumberjanes yeah. is on there, which I know you like. It's the best. Um, Lumberjanes is the best. I think the first... I haven't read it, but the first trade comes out in April, and I think I'm going to buy that if I don't read it on script first, but you can find that's a that's a comic that you might like um, uh, to check out on script as well. There's some Guardians of the Galaxy stuff on there, interesting Superman, and then a bunch of manga and a whole bunch of stuff to poke around with. Easy to get lost and have that experience of like, you know, poking and clicking and browsing and seeing what's around and, there. Yeah, before you know it, you've spent four hours building a reading list and zero hours reading, yeah. but it was fun. And if you want to give it a try, like you don't want to, you don't want to pay the the $9 for it, you can try a free month, 30, 30 days of unlimited reading and listening, uh, which is a heck of a deal, especially for audiobooks. Uh, go to scribd.com slash book riot. That script is S-C-R-I-B-D. Uh, and that's scribd.com. Thanks so much to Scribd for sponsoring the show. Okay, let's see. All right. Do we want to do we got some we got some follow-up, right? Can we do yeah, this? Yeah, let's follow-up? go there. Let's do the follow-up. I don't know if this is good news or bad news today. Uh we we learned today that the state of Alabama initiated a elder abuse claim involved uh, around Harper Lee. Apparently mm-hmm. one of her I guess former doctors or someone who hasn't treated her in a while or something, someone around her, I guess, that has the standing to investigate, to, to initiate this investigation did. And I don't know how that works. Like, can you just be some random person and say, yeah. go check that lady out? I don't know if it's like a, like a child investigation thing. If you report, if you make a report to like child yeah. welfare, then they investigate everything just mm-hmm. to make sure that there's nothing going on. And maybe elder care. I, I hope that elder care is the same way that if someone is advocating for, um, for someone who needs that advocacy, needs a voice uh, to speak for yeah. them that they investigate everything, but I'm not sure. Maybe some of you all know this and you can let us know. But regardless, the investigation was concluded. Right. And? And they determined that there was no reason to intervene. Uh, They said they traveled to the nursing home to to speak to Ms. Lee at the request of the Alabama Department of Human Resources. And they have since closed out the files on the matter. So I guess they, they talked to not, employees, they talked to her, they talked to people yeah, around they're, her. They're not gonna I guess this is good, right? I think it's I think it's good. The piece that I'm looking at um into kind of hints that in the wake of the New York Times reporting the initial opening of the investigation, it would have been worse if there had been complete silence following. Like they're acknowledging that they did an inv- investigation and that it was closed, and if there were bad I things, see. you know, then it would have been like Yes, we did an investigation. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Oh, um, right. So, like, the, the omission would have been a, a negative indicator. Yeah, I know. think that that's what they're saying here. And I don't know. I mean, we've we've talked all about the Harper Lee stuff already. I still am concerned. Like, this does not yeah. assuage all of my concerns. I don't think it assuages all of your concerns about how much agency Harper Lee has had in the decision to publish this manuscript, but I think the truth is we're not ever going to know. No. Um, but it is certainly more, it's more evidence than we had that things may not be the worst case scenario. Right. 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 Um, you know, the sort of our dream video of, uh, Diane Sawyer talking to Harper Lee for just even three minutes and having a, you know, a spontaneous back and forth where we could, I guess, get proven to us. And it's kind of sounds 
it sounds kind of grisly, but that she's okay, mm-hmm. you know, and if she's mostly deaf, but can write a little and can read, like, that's when, not I the mean, worst thing in the world. Yeah, by you any can be mostly deaf, but completely sound of mind. Yeah. Um, and so whatever, whatever the, now I don't know, they, they, I don't know that this investigation is, we should be reading into it that she, uh, is fully coherent. It might just be that she's been taken care of as well as can be mm-hmm. expected given whatever condition she's in. Right. So I, or I that don't there's exactly no, know. She's not being abused. Right. There's no reason to suspect right. manipulation or, you know, foul play yeah. for lack of a better term, but, um, you, you know, could tell me, very, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm still holding out hope that maybe when the book is out, we're going to get the Barbara Walters interview. <laughs> I don't, I, Shinsky, I'm, I wish, I hope Just we let do. let me hold but, on to it. I need please. something today, Jeff. I know. But I, I'm saying it could be that the case is that, you know, she is not with it and her attorney has power of attorney and is doing all these things without her consent. And that's perfectly legal and wouldn't be considered abuse. Right. Which a lot of people still wouldn't like. And I don't know that I would love myself, but... Just because the Alabama, uh, the state of Alabama says that she's not being abused, does not mean it's all. Um, you know, the and chain, unicorns. the chain of consent, isn't what we'd love it to be. Right. Um, to be honest, so there's that. Uh, another quick follow. This isn't really follow up. It's just one of our ongoing obsessions. Um, mm-hmm. Marilyn Robinson today, tonight, today. won the National Book Critics Circle Award for fiction for Lila. Um, so all the awards have been sorted now that Marilyn Robinson has been duly laureled for this outing. Um, I was getting worried. No Pulitzer, no National Book Award, though she was nominated, I think, for all of those. She was. Um, But uh, finally won. It was such a good field of books last year, too. And I I loved Lila. I love Marilyn Robinson. I'm so happy to see her honored for this. And I thought the book was really phenomenal. But... Other books winning those awards that she was nominated for didn't. I mean, it didn't bother me. I don't think it bothered you either. They were they were good books, um, but it may not. It, it may not have bothered me. It's maybe I, not. I, I what I I'll say this. I like she got one. Yeah, I'm glad she got one too. For I sure, like she got one. Um, I would, and I would. I think I would be sad. Actually, I know that I would be sad if we ended a year that had such a fantastic book from one of my favorite authors, and her not winning something in the same way that like. If early 2016 rolls around and nobody's talking about Toni Morrison's 2015 novel anymore, I'll be sad. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it today a little bit with Marilyn Robinson and Lila. Like, the book is so good, and all three of them have been so consistently amazing that it's a little bit like she uh, taken for granted that it's awesome. I don't know if that's fair or not. Mm. Um, but I just wonder if the, the same book had a different author that we didn't know. Like, wouldn't we all be just like vomiting of of excitement that there's this person? You know, I totally felt this way about the most recent James Salter novel. Yes. Too, that when All That Is came out, I guess that was 2013. Who knows? One yeah. of those years. Um, it was so good. And in so many, like so amazing on its own, but also in so many ways, a capstone to his career. And it's just like, well, it's James Salter. Yeah, and everyone right. of course knows it's, it's going to be so good. So the bar is raised for people who have that kind of career behind them where they're just known to be consistently awesome, that whatever they do next has to be disproportionately awesome to get recognition around, you know, other books that are also awesome that deserve yeah. recognition. This happened um, to um, Jordan, Michael Jordan, switching fields a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he had some years where he should have won the MVP. But people are just like, well, you know, Jordan's always great, but Carl Malone was like really good this year. 
maybe, you know, let's give it to Carl Malone, even though that Jordan was, you know, by, by any statistical measure, the superior player it was kind of like getting tired. Now, tired is the wrong word, but overly familiar. Like it wasn't exciting as much because you kind of just come to expect it. And when Marilyn Robinson has another novel out, I'm sure I will expect it to be great. And there is well, something to that being surprised that that's true. I don't know if it's fair or not, but it's real. She has um, an essay collection coming out this fall called The Givenness of Things. And I've been excited for it since last fall when I got the first press release. Like, I have literally zero idea what the subject of those essays is going to be. It could be about literally anything. That title <laughs> it could is be. literally anything. <laughs> and I am here for it. Yeah. It could just be called Things. <laughs> Things and stuff. And it's like 20 pages about stirring spaghetti sauce. I, okay. I'm, I'm there Tell for, me I'm all here about it, Marilyn Robinson. I, I would be there for that for sure. Um, so that's good. We have some sad news to report um, that today, uh, this morning, apparently, Terry Pratchett, the uh, beloved, I would say. Oh, yes. Writer, British writer, mostly of sci-fi uh, and fantasy. I guess it's, is it, I don't know if Discworld. I've never read Terry Pratchett. I have to say, this is one of my lacuna in my reading life, though by all accounts I should have. He's a friend of Douglas Adams and I uh, love Hitchhiker's Guide and everything. But so I don't really know, but I know enough about him to see people and I've talked to people a lot. He's come up on Reading Lives a lot actually. Mm-hmm. Um died today at the age of sixty five, I believe. Sixty six. Sixty six after a long bout with Alzheimer's, apparently. So um really prolific, really funny. Um yeah, Interesting by all accounts, guy, a really very good guy. warm and great to his readers. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of you out there will have some feelings about that. So um, we're sad to lose Terry Pratchett. Someday I, I've always wanted to get back. The thing about Discworld is there's like so many books, like 22 books or something, um, and I don't know enough about it to to know if there's one I could pick up and just try, or I start at the beginning and see how it goes. That's so a you, monumental commitment. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, it is. But I would like to try one, especially if it if it's one of those deals where I'm not going to feel like I'm on the hook in a good way, even like where I want to read all 22. It's just like I don't have that kind of juice in me right now to get through that. But if any Terry Pratchett readers out there, um, and you have one that you'd recommend for me to pick up, I'd certainly I'd really like that. Uh, yes, please. Me too. I'd like to know. I've been wanting to to figure that out for a little time. Let's let's do a few of these smaller stories before we get to the next sponsor break, and then we'll take this larger one that we have to deal with. Um, Vida. Oh, yes. I'm so excited about this. Vida, who you've heard us talk about before. Um, well, I can never remember what the, the acronym stands it for. It doesn't. It doesn't stand for anything. It's just, it's just, it's, oh. It's, so it, just it's just is. It just, just is. Just let it's it wash a, over you. La Vida Loca or whatever. Um, <laughs> they do the annual... I guess, survey of the way um, – of the participation basically of women in the literary arts, both as having books reviewed and as reviewers mostly. Um, and they look at a, a wide range of literary publications and they see how many women have been reviewed and how many women have been re- doing the reviewing um, and give a report. And it's to highlight that things are not great um, in that regard and the inequity that happens – uh, in literary publications, um, and they've made some real difference. We've we've heard from some publications that have actively changed uh, their practices to try to do better. Tin House being one. I don't know that the New York Times ever came out and said that they changed their reviewing patterns based on Vita, but they have changed. Like they we've have. seen the needle move there. Um, but they're doing an Indiegogo campaign to fund oh, and- their Vita account. 
And this year, the count is going to assess uh, participation and representation of people of color mm. as well. They have, they're expanding. Which we've been interested in to mm-hmm. see if they were going to do that or someone else was going to take up that mantle. I, I don't know that um, we would ex- need to expect that from Vita, but I, I'm pleased to see that they're going to do it just because I'm fascinated by the results. And I think like with the Vita count for um, women, it's going to be illuminating and embarrassing. Yes. I mean, how do you think you're going to be? <laughs> no, I think illuminating and embarrassing is how it, it usually is every year. Yeah. But the reception of the Vita count is, has been an interesting thing to watch how that's evolved. The first year that I remember seeing it online, there were a lot of responses from publications feeling like they were being accused of something, right. like they had bad intentions when... Really, it was like it, like Vita really just presents the numbers. <laughs> right. And however you choose to interpret the presentation of data about what your publication does is on you, mm-hmm. not on the just the presence of the raw numbers. And over the years, it does seem to have gotten better. Like, like you said, publications have taken it to heart. The people at Tin House wrote about how yep. they weren't getting enough submissions from women writers. So they went out and recruited women writers, mm-hmm. which is what you have to do if you have accidentally or unintentionally or just without thinking about it, created an environment where women don't feel comfortable submitting or don't feel that they're welcome. Mm-hmm. You can't just, if you want to get to equal representation, you can't cannot just say, well, we're just choosing from what is submitted to us. And they recognized that and they went out and made changes to it. I think you're absolutely right that the New York Times looked at this and has made changes to it as well. There has been significant co- chain, significant movement in the way that the New York Times covers books and in other publications as well. And then there are publications whose pie charts from Vita look the same as they looked several years ago when the count started and they're not paying attention, which says to me they don't care. Um, and I'm comfortable <sighs> making that judgment that if you're not paying any attention to make any kind of change, you've decided that you don't care. Yeah. Decide you don't care or just don't care and haven't even given it a thought to decide, you know? Right. I mean, right. whatever, which of those people um, do you want to be? I, I don't know. Yeah. So the, the um, Vita count, they get, it's all run by volunteers. This is a, you know, a nonprofit endeavor. It takes 30 people thousands of hours to compile and double check the numbers. It's just an enormous job. And Vita wants to be able to pay the people for the work mm-hmm. that they're doing. They believe that people should be paid for their work. So they've their Indiegogo is for $10,000. They have 31 days left. So hopefully they'll exceed it. They've raised um, right now on Thursday night, they've raised uh, $2,575. They're a little over a quarter of the way after two days mm-hmm. of campaigning. That's a great sign. Uh, this is, I think, an excellent cause. And if you're looking for a way to put money where your mouth is and support an organization that is actually taking action to fight sexism in publishing and to make change, it's hard to find a better one. Yep. <sighs> so anyway, that's, um, I didn't even see what the rewards are there. Um, the rewards are great. I think at the $100 level, you get a tote bag and there's a cute yeah, note about how t-shirt. Like, yeah, good. Yeah, it's to carry around your books that pass the Bechdel test and the latest, you know, feminist <laughs> <laughs> propaganda. I like that. Sense they of thought humor about, about it. it. They know their audience. Yeah. Um, okay, so you want to hear about our next sponsor? Yeah, let's do our next sponsor. Our next sponsor is The Winner's Crime. This episode is brought to you by The Winner's Crime by Marie Rutkowski. This is the second novel in a, in a trilogy. Um, it is about... Romance and adventure and action. Oh, it's, uh, wait! It's about me. I didn't. They, they, I didn't get my, that, my permission. Anyway, sorry. 
Well, you're an international man of mystery. Oh, there it is. Right. Different, different uh, uh, So uh, a royal wedding is every girl's dream, and it means one celebration after another, balls, fireworks, and revelry until dawn. But to Kestrel, the main character of this book, it means living in a cage of her own making. As her wedding approaches, she aches to tell the truth about her engagement, that she agreed to marry the prince just to guarantee Arryn's freedom, who I... I think is a character from the first book of the ah, series, right. um, but only if she could trust him. Can she trust herself? Uh, she's becoming very good at deception and working as a spy in the court, which is a high risk and, you know, obviously a gamble to take. And if she's caught, she'll be exposed as a traitor to her country. But as the danger grows, she can't help searching for a way to change her world. And it seems that she's close to uncovering a shocking secret. Uh, this one is great for teens, but also for 20 and 30 somethings who like the CW's Rain series, R E I G N, or books like Lainey Taylor's Daughter of Smoke and Bone, or if you're interested in a Philippa Gregory esque uh, YA fantasy with a historical bent to it. Also, a really great selection um, for book clubs that are venturing into young adult titles with serious themes. Um, so, again, this is The Winner's Crime by Marie Rutkowski. The first book in the series is The Winner's Curse. And thanks to them for sponsoring the episode. It'll be a link to where you can check out more info about the book in the show notes. I'm a sucker for uh, I'm infiltrating this thing and I can't get found out and I got to bring it. That's a, I love so that stuff. So did you read The Likeness by Tana French? I, you know, I never did Tana French. I, I don't really like crime fiction that much. Isn't that her Ballywick? It, well, yeah. The first one, Into the Woods, is a male-female detective duo. Oh. And, then in, and then in The Likeness, the female from the detective team becomes the center of the story. And there has been... A murder and like, like a bunch of people living in a house together, kind of like the friendships in the secret history mm. felt. And the detective looks a lot like the female murder victim so much that she can um, impersonate her. So she infiltrates living in the house with the victim's former roommates and like trying to pull off them not noticing the difference while she oh, tries to figure good. out if one of them killed her. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, sh I do like crime fiction. I just, and I don't, this not might, might not be a fair characterization, but the way I've heard people about, talk about Ten of French, like it might be a little too like tense for, I like the figuring oh, out part. I don't like the mm. tense part, especially when it's like grisly. Like if someone's going to get exposed or found out, that's one thing. But if like, I don't know. I don't like the axe over the head and you don't know if it's going to, oh, that kind of yeah, stuff. I well, it's been a several years. I don't remember it being yeah. that tense. I also didn't make it past that book, but mainly I just got distracted. Right. I, I, really I know people liked, love her. A lot of yeah, and I really, really book. liked the likeness. And I like that setup of the series where the first book is about two people. And then the second book shifts the focus to one of those people. And then by my understanding, the third book shifts the focus again to another character that was on the periphery of the second book, but who becomes the main character of the third book. And that's the pattern is that someone who's on the periphery of one story becomes the main character of her next book. Um, I kind of like that way of building yeah. out a world. I think it's really creative. That's anyway. All right. <laughs> um, so, we put this off as long as we can do it. And it's weird because it's not like a huge story. Like, right. I don't know that's going to go outside even our little bubble and maybe some, I don't know, associated book publications or anything like that. Um, but anyway, Andrew Smith gave an, an Andrew Smith who wrote Grasshopper Jungle. He has a new book coming out called The Crow. Did an interview with Vice. 
um, apparently by all accounts, uh, a, a good guy. And um, you like Grasshopper Jungle, which I never read. I remember you talking about it, right? I did. I yeah. read it last year and I thought it was dark and weird and yeah, you know, rang a lot of the weird. bells that I like to have rung by fiction. Anyway, he was doing a, 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 a seemingly run-of-the-mill kind of interview with, with Vice. And there's one question um, that it, it seems pretty innocuous on the surface. And I'll, I'll read the whole thing. So here's the interviewer. Um, on the flip side, it sometimes seems like there isn't much of a way into your books for female readers. Where are all the women in your work? That's the interviewer. And then Smith says, I was raised in a family with four boys, and I absolutely did not know anything about girls at all. I have a daughter now. She's 17. When she was born, that was the first girl I ever had in my life. I consider myself completely ignorant to all things woman and female. I'm trying to be better, though. Um, he goes out to talk a little bit about the book. Maybe I'll read that too. Uh, yeah, that's worth a reading. lot of the Alex, the Alex Crow, sorry, is the name of the book is really about the failure of male societies and all the story threads. There are examples of male dominated societies that make critical errors where it's the army that Ariel falls in the beginning or a refugee camp or a bunch of other details here. I don't really understand. They're all examples of male societies that think they're doing some kind of noble mission and they're failing miserably, which is so beautifully juicy. And we'll come back to that for just a minute. Um, <laughs> beautifully juicy is a show title <laughs> if ever I heard um, one, Jeff. But so I didn't see this before some other people started thinking and feeling out loud about it in, in interesting ways. Though if I had read it by myself, I think I would have raised an eyebrow at, I consider myself completely ignorant to all things woman and female. Mm-hmm. But this sort of became... Um, something people started talking about on Twitter at first and, and also as sort of a wedge in talking about a lot of larger issues about YA and women's representation and girls' representation and things like that. Um, and, and in our little world, it's caused a bit of a firestorm because we wrote about it. Um, Derek wrote about it today, a long article and a lot of people commenting. And um, there was apparently on Twitter some people who were calling him some names and bringing some family members. I didn't see any of that. Mm-hmm. I can't directly respond to any of that. I think for our purposes, though, I think this paragraph itself is interesting enough for us to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I, I I guess I'm not sure because there's, there's a lot of interesting things here. But I consider myself completely ignorant to all things women and female. That's, is that that's the root of the root here, right? That is the root of the root. Yeah. And a lot of the defense that I've seen has been people saying, well, it's so honest and like brave of him to admit this weakness. He's just admitting a weakness. And he does say, I'm trying to be better, though. Um, right. In the piece that Derek Adig wrote for Book Riot today, which we'll do a link in the show notes to both yeah, this which interview and that. I think is thoughtful. It's generous in its interpretation. It puts this. It's critical. It puts this question in the context of social issues that lend it themselves to men making statements like this. Right. Um, but trying is not the same as doing better. Um, this is his to, ninth book. It should be said. Right uh, to bring it project. to bring it like into a concrete example. If we were to just talk about trying to care about diversity, but we didn't actually take steps to make diverse books more represented on Book Riot, we would still be part of the problem. You don't get cookies for talking about trying. Um, Also, women don't get the luxury of being completely ignorant to all things man and male. Um, Phoebe North wrote a great Tumblr post about that. And I, I feel like that is where this rests. Yeah. 
that you live in a world that is 51% comprised of women. And earlier in this piece, he says that there was literally, that's the, that, that is the word he chooses, literally no other girl or woman in his life before his daughter. There is no excuse. You're six books deep. Your books have girl characters in them. I just don't understand the ladies. It seems like, very, go it's out very, and, like, very odd. I don't know. Google the ladies. Like, learn something about them and write well-rounded characters. I don't understand these people is not an excuse for not having fully realized characters of any kind. If if this were a white man who wrote a Korean character, or like last year, Rainbow Roll hmm. was criticized for the presentation of Korean characters in... Um, Eleanor and Park. El- in Eleanor and Park. And she was called on the carpet by members of the community who said... You didn't represent my my community very well. You it looks like you didn't do your research. Mm-hmm. If you want to write about people who are from cultures that you're not from, you have a responsibility to learn about it and do it well. I don't know enough about that culture to know if Rainbow Roll did right. it right or not, but that is absolutely a fair criticism to make. And if critics, particularly women critics, are calling out Andrew Smith's representation of girls and women in his books, then I'm just ignorant of things woman and female doesn't cut the mustard. I mean, and it also just can't possibly be true. Right. I mean, that, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems very odd to me in a lot of ways because his response to is, where are all the women in your work? And he doesn't really answer the question. Right. It's His, his answer seems to be, well, I don't know any or something, or I know one, um, which I just don't know how to, did he, even if, even if somehow he, that's true, like he's a writer and a reader. Did he not ever read Anne of Green Gables or, I mean, Little, I mean, it's not like they're well, completely foreign beings at all. I, I just don't get it. I guess the other idea that and Derek does this all very lovingly, I would say, um, a parsing of what this kind of mindset is. Like that somehow you're, you're a human, so you can't be ignorant of all things women and female because they are also human beings. It's this notion that women are alien and foreign and unknowable right. to men. Like it is literally the men are from Mars, women are from Venus notion. Well, that, that the logic is that women are sufficiently different as to be unknowable. Right. Which, I mean, I don't need to do any of any kind of like serious <laughs> gender thinking to know that's sort of absurd, right? It's absurd and it's the heart of a lot of sexist ideas right. and sexist behavior. And in a bigger context, we talked last week about Shannon Hale, the YA writer who went to do a school visit yes. and the school only let the girls go see her. Yeah. When you don't expose boys to stories by and about girls, you end up with a generation of adult men who consider themselves completely ignorant to all things woman and female because they've never had to interact with girls' perspectives or with women's experiences or to imagine themselves into a girl's experience where... When I was in school up until like up until middle school, definitely up until high school started, most of the books that we were assigned had male protagonists. Right. Girls spend our childhoods 
having to develop empathy for male characters because those are the books that we are given by our teachers. And movies and TV shows and all up and down the board. Um, it, the, and again, it's given in an interview and whatever whatever caveats apply, I think maybe we can say he's giving an interview, he wasn't writing this, but sometimes you get the more honest answer organically. You know, there's a possibility this is actually more revealing than something he would actually write. The, the phrasing... And again, I'm a parser. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a close reading is one of my tools that I bring out um, and use. So if you don't like this sort of stuff, I'm sorry, but here we go. Um, I consider myself completely ignorant, which is, it's meaningfully different than I am completely ignorant, right? Like mm-hmm. he considers himself completely ignorant to all things woman and female. I just, I just find this so revealing about how what a kind of benign but terrible privileged worldview that represents mm-hmm. right because he's not he's not trying to actively be a jerk and by all accounts he's a nice that's all we've heard that ad nauseum today he responds to his fans to his teenage fans on yeah. twitter he's warm to them i want to be clear that i don't I don't think you don't think I don't think any of us at Book no. Riot think that these remarks come from a place of actively disliking women or actively wanting to exert or, you know, celebrate privilege. No one on our team, at least, is making claims about Andrew Smith's character or his personality. There were some tweets that I saw from other corners where people took it too far and they were abusive. And that is unfortunate and unacceptable. And as it always is, right. right? As it (laughs) always is, no matter who is on the receiving end of it. Um, that's really, that's really sad. It's also extremely frustrating because the existence of those abusive comments has been used today to dismiss the validity of the rest of the criticism. Some people were mean to him. And so no one's words count. No, we don't have to consider any of this criticism because some of the people went too far Mm -hmm. in their criticism. That's not how it works. No. Also, Andrew Smith chose to leave Twitter. No one forced him off. You can't force another person off Twitter. He chose to leave. And Unless you're Twitter, I guess. I, right, right. I have been on the receiving end of a lot mm. of nasty stuff on Twitter today. And on most days, there's something nasty because that is the reality of being a woman with loud opinions on Twitter. Um, and I understand that urge to just go away. And sometimes I do just go away. I get it. Like, I understand why he would have decided to close his Twitter account and to not respond to these things. But in doing so, he's left us with no further evidence or anything to go on about the conversation. And the fact that he made that choice doesn't make the people who criticized him bullies. That's a word that has been thrown around Mm. a lot. Yes, some people behaved in a way that was out of line. But no, the existence of a large group of critics does not equate automatically to bullying and the throwing up of hands in now the women are just mad and they're bullying the man. Mm. And so this can't be valid. It's just angry bully women is not only unproductive, but completely dismissive and infuriating and infuriating. But I, I and Amanda and several of the other women at Book Riot and some of the men spent the day today being called 
all kinds of names, being told we were doing feminism wrong, being insulted, harassed, and abused. And we're not the only ones. Women on the internet all over the place who are criticizing this today were on the receiving end of that. That's not how this conversation is supposed to go. And that's certainly not going to solve the problem, but it's also sure as hell not going to shut me up. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, in a way, you know, the the response to the response is as interesting as what's been said, or as revealing, I don't know about interesting, that how quick, how quick people were to want to cover it up with he uh, got bullied. Uh, he sort of, he's a nice guy. Uh, it was one sentence. Well, you could say a lot of terrible things. I mean, I don't, maybe again, this is the close reader in me. It was one sentence is enough for me to be Mm -hmm. interested and critical of. Um, And this is a powerful, revealing sentence. And and this is a beloved, celebrated, widely acclaimed writer. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of the Handler thing. Mm. Um, Again, Handler, it was it was in on display is different, um, but he he said something that was revealing about something about him. Um, he, by all accounts, is a good guy. Um, by all accounts, he was friends uh, or at least acquaintances with Jackie Woodson. Um, he said this spontaneously, and he got called he got called to account. And I think Handler. Uh, handled himself very well after the fact. Um, that doesn't mean we get we have to forget. Uh, but this is a, a very similar sort of thing where it, he was trying to be honest, and he was being honest. And when you're a man in America, especially when you're honest, sometimes your sexism comes out. It, uh, I'm sure at some point it's going to come out of me, you know. And I don't say that I live in fear of that day happening when I say something. Um, about someone who is not like me. But you know what? I, I really hope I don't run from it. I, I really don't. I really hope I really hope the day never happens, but that's a pipe dream. Um, mm-hmm. But I hope, I hope, anyway, you get what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, I do. When it, It's a thing that I think about and that we talk about a lot, yeah. that when your work is in public, whether it's in public the way that ours is on the internet or you're an author and so your books exist in the world and you're giving interviews as part of your work, Criticism of your work happens in public, too. That's just part of the deal. Mm -hmm. And now in public includes on the Internet, which is different than it's ever been before in history. And it can be scary. And there are a lot more people there who are allowed to talk to you than like in the pages of a newspaper. And it can be overwhelming. I've been on both sides Mm -hmm. of the call out thing. It's not fun when you have to say, I really mucked that one up. That was a mistake. Yes, I said that thing. I was wrong and I'm sorry. Yeah. I think that Andrew Smith could have prevented a great deal of this by simply acknowledging, you know, that's, it's the most simple formula for when you make a mistake is acknowledge that you did a thing that was wrong. Don't make excuses for it. Apologize and then actively start yeah. doing better. In, and, in a way though, don't you think this is maybe more, I don't know, indicting than the handler thing? Like, I consider myself completely ignorant to all things woman and female. Like, the more I look at that, the more I'm uh, shocked is maybe the wrong word, but just sort of 
that's very revealing. Like that's it is not an Afghan joke and or something where you miscalibrated. You know how that that's and, a confession. You know, that is a confession. It is extremely problematic because it's now being repeated with people by people whose intentions we don't have any reason to trust. You know, uh, by uh, like we've said, by all accounts, Smith is a good, respectable, caring, kind guy. Mm-hmm. But sexist men who don't respect women yes. are showing up now on the internet waving this as their flag. Right. Yeah. This guy was being honest yes. when he said he was completely ignorant of all things woman and, and female. And look what happened to Just him. respect his honesty, ladies. Yeah, right. Stop being so angry, ladies. Don't be abrasive, ladies. Don't overreact. Because what do you want it's, him not to say anything at all? Like, that's that's yeah. what they're saying, right? Like, Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, what is the problem, I guess? I mean, that's what I keep coming back to. The problem is that, and it's not about Andrew Smith, except that it is, is that it's possible for someone <laughs> to say I'm completely ignorant of all things. It's right, that's that, possible for him to say. That this, these words, this behavior that we're criticizing happened in the context of a publishing environment yeah. and a larger society where men are allowed to just remain ignorant of all things women and female and that that's supposed to be a valid reason. Yeah. Like that this is not only a thing you're allowed to do is just not care about the experiences of half of the population, but then use your not caring and your ignorance as a as an excuse for not representing them. Yeah. Well, right. it's it's also becoming very problematic in the conversations around it because I get it. Like there's a ton of cognitive dissonance involved when you really like a thing or a person and then that thing or person is criticized. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to just think the things that we love are 100% good and purely lovable. And so there are a lot of fans of Andrew Smith as a person and fans of Andrew Smith's work who don't like seeing this criticism. And the first response is to try to make it, to try to find a way that the criticism could not be true so that the book can still be 100% good and the person can still be 100% pure. I don't have to think about it and I'll just go home already and shut up and leave me the hell alone. As a literary culture, have to have a way. We have to find a way to like and appreciate a thing and also criticize the thing or the words and actions of the maker of the thing. You can do both. It is possible. You can both like Grasshopper Jungle and find this response to be insanely problematic. And, and, and we, we talked about this before, that one way around it, and people are so afraid, I'm less afraid than I used to, of being called a sexist or saying you did something sexist or racist. And I totally get that because that's some of the strongest language that we have in America especially. Um, but one thing the loadedness of those terms does is we don't we, – we tiptoe around these landmines and can't ever – really engage with them at all. I think for me, and I've said this before on the show, so I'm, I'm sorry to repeat. No, I'm not. You know what? If you are tired F of this, get out of here. <laughs> um, that I, I consider myself a recovering sexist and racist. And that gives me a lot of liberty because I can say, but I'm trying to do better and I have done better and I actively work at it. And that's not to say I'm ever going to be cured, um, but it's also not to try to say that I have to behave perfectly to be considered someone that's trying to do the right thing. Um, and not just trying to, but actually doing the right thing. 
of actually reading other people's opinions, um, taking their concerns seriously, not doubting their not doubting their experiences or their feelings, um, not thinking that they're motivated. The, the th- you know, the, my favorite thing we've gotten today is that um, we write this really this piece um, that's very thoughtful, and Derek did a wonderful job with it, and then get a lot of crazy kind of responses, and that we must be doing it for the clicks. You know, we must be doing, we must be writing about feminism because, boy, think of the clicks that are going to roll in. Um, and boy, let me tell you, if we do, if you do that, it's not worth it. And, you know, the joke that you made or that Amanda made, but that's entirely true, is that if we were just in this for the clicks, we would just publish stuff about Harry Potter and Harper Lee all the live long day. Right. Because and people will click on it. And how books are the only real books. And the right. smell the, of the, real it books would just, are awesome. It would just be an essay about the smell of books every day <laughs> from now until forever. That's what we would do if all that we cared about is clicks. If you are part of Book Riot's community and you've been listening to the show and you've been reading the site, we hope that you know us and trust us enough to to believe that that is not our first priority. This is a business. We do have to get page views to our site, but we care very much about making the industry better and about doing the right things in how we talk about books and urging the publishing industry to make changes as well. It's not a performance. And <laughs> I it's know, not for fun. Like I is... guarantee you, I promise you, this is not just for funsies because I know any time that I come out or that Amanda comes out or that Kelly comes out or that any of the women from the site come out with any kind of potentially controversial opinion, we're going to spend at least the rest of the day and sometimes the rest of the entire week being abused and harassed and having to block and report trolls and harassers on Twitter. And you know what? We're going to get we're going to get raped threats, we're going to get death threats. And we're going to leave this in. And if you have kids in the car or whatever, mute it or fast forward. And because I I made the, it's not really a joke, but a sarcastic remark too. It's like, do you think they like to be called cunts and whores and bitches? Like, that's fun. Like, that's what the, that's the, all the jollies they get. That's what the response is. It's great, Jeff. I, I love being harassed by strangers on the internet. I do everything that I do just so I can solicit that. And it seems to be the price of doing business um, if you're a woman with strong opinions online. That's the the goddamn truth of it. This is, it's the world's shittiest bargain to make. Yeah, it is. Because the choice is continue to talk about these things knowing that that's what's coming and find some way to deal with the fact that that is what's coming or shut up. Right. And to me, the cost of shutting up is too high, but that does not mean that I enjoy it or that any woman enjoys the responses that she gets when she speaks out about sexism. It doesn't mean that any person of color enjoys the response that they get when they speak out about racism. It doesn't mean that it's a performance just because you don't understand where that person is coming well, from. Well, and it's, there's and, a straight line between that and what we're talking about in this. I consider myself completely ignorant to all things women and female. These are not unrelated things, the way women are treated online for speaking out about things. And people like this dude, Smith, saying, I consider myself, it, it, it's, a, it's not a direct line, but their line is there mm-hmm. between when, men and some women, frankly, yes. not wanting to take on the task of realizing what it costs um, to, to allow people to be able to say things like this. And, you know, I've 
I'm on the internet. So I think I see the things that people say about me, even when they don't tag me, mm-hmm. the, the things that people say about Book Riot, even when they don't tag us, because internet, there are ways. And one of the things that I've seen that I'm really disturbed by is the notion that because we have a large platform, and we do undeniably, Book Riot's the largest independent book site in the country, we have some responsibility to not incite things like this. People Mm. say things like, well, you have this large audience and so you're manipulating them if you point them towards things that you think are wrong and that deserve criticism because because what we somehow can control what people will do after they read our words. We absolutely have a responsibility to the people that read our site and that responsibility is to put in front of them the very best work that we can put in front of them and the things that we think are the most important. And Today, one of the things that is the most important is a discussion about sexism in publishing. And if you don't like that, you don't have to read the site. You don't have to follow us. Mm -hmm. But that is not a misuse of platform. It's not an abuse of whatever power we have. And also, we don't like run an army of people. We can't (laughs) blackball you from the internet. Like there's really not that much power involved in running a website about books on the internet. Like let's be clear about that as well. But my responsibility, your responsibility as editors of the site is not to somehow like protect the people on the other end of the criticism from a potentially large group of people who might be angry about their behavior. If you don't wish to be called out for bad behavior, then you need to not behave badly and then don't give me anything to talk about. Or don't do it in public. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's the other thing. And I think our, I think, you know, the way I think about it had have, have begun, we have one responsibility to our readers and that's to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing we have. And if we're honest, then people can, you know, come in and think and decide if it's if the site's for them or if, or if it's not. And that's all. And one thing I think we do differently um, than a lot of sites out there is we moderate and we ban people from commenting when they call their people names or they behave nastily. Um, you know, we're not actively trying to be for everybody. No, it's not. And it's 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 the costs are too high to try to look at nastiness all the time. Um, today, you know, we've let some things go and things haven't really been directly uh, in uh, violation of the guidelines. We basically say you can't insult other people. Like that. that's, you would think that'd be a low bar to clear, but it's it's difficult but for it's some not. people. Um, but one thing we do different is we, our, our editors, and I'm included in this and maybe as um, active as anyone, as we don't leave thing ideas unchallenged in comments. We don't leave ideas unchallenged. You can't just say things about us and our writers. That that's not part of the bargain I'm willing to strike. Yeah, you can criticize ideas yeah. all you want, but you will not show up in our comment section calling us or our other readers, community members' names. You won't show up calling our contributors names. You won't show up making your argument by hurling insults yeah. and expect to be treated with respect or anyone listening to you. And I think that's one thing that makes people uncomfortable. And it especially makes a certain class of men uncomfortable who are so used to just sort of saying whatever they want without being muted or blocked or deleted or ignored <laughs> or called to, to answer um, and have it thrown back in their face. That's just not what we're going to do. And I think it's worth saying that it doesn't, I don't think it hurts us. You know, I've had exchanges with people who run other literary websites about the ways that they run their comments. And 
that it comes down to not wanting to tell people they can't be jerks to mm-hmm. each other because they're afraid of what will happen if the jerks all stop reading their site. It's a like wonderful they, thing not to be afraid. That they won't have any traffic anymore. Yeah. We, I would prefer that we have 0% jerks <laughs> and that then anyone else who wants to come to a site and talk about things and debate ideas and you can tell us that we're wrong. That's fine. Tell us that we're wrong. Just don't, you know, hurl insults and feel safe. And I'm really inclined to believe from my experience on our site and on a bunch of other internet that for every angry man who doesn't like being told that they can't be insulting in our comments and flounces away and never reads the site again. There are 10 more people that see that, you know, we have those conversations in public with our readers Mm. primarily as an object lesson to everyone else, because we know we're not going to change that person's mind who is behaving that way in the comments that never happens. But it's important to me and to you and Amanda, that other people who read the site and who want to comment and who want to participate know that the bad behavior will not be tolerated. Yeah, sometimes I think I do this intentionally on Twitter, especially in the comments, too. It's like, I'll respond to someone being nasty, saying, this is not cool and you don't get to do this. Not because I think it's going to change that person, because, hello, I've been on the internet for five years doing this professionally now. I know that some of these nuts just aren't cracked, but as, you know, kind of putting a flagpole down for other people to see, like Mm -hmm. to let other people know what we expect, but also to let other people know what kind of comment section we run. And it is interesting that somehow in all of this, it's more the people being upset about this that are acting wrong than sort of what has been said. Like that's yeah. always the way you know something's getting twisted. It's pretty – I don't want to equate this Andrew Smith thing to Gamergate because it's by far yeah. a, a difference in scale. But what was fundamentally happening there was people who loved games yeah. objecting to criticism of those games – particularly in their presentation of women. They objected to being told that a game they loved was sexist in the way that it treated women. And that objection, that refusal to acknowledge that there was something problematic in a piece of media that they loved resulted in extensive and terrible and terrifying Mm. harassment of women. And on a much smaller scale, but a scale nonetheless, that's what we've seen in the last 48 hours, yeah. that people who don't want to see problems in a piece of media, in a piece of art that they love, created by an author that they feel close to or feel some affection for, have attacked the people making the criticism rather than engaging with the idea. Yeah. And some of it, too, I think, is an inability to recognize that... <sighs> We're all flawed, man. Like so, so many people have such a hard time just acknowledging that they're imperfect and that they've do dumb and bad and I don't know destructive things, and they hold destructive and bad ideas, and they they would rather lash out than look at all at themselves and like try to get better at it. I mean, well, that's the thing that's always so it, frustrating. The way that this gets spun over and over online is. We're all imperfect. We all have flaws. I'm so afraid of having my flaws pointed out. So we shouldn't do this to other people. Because if we keep doing this to other people. Haven't you ever said something that you regret? Yeah, it means that someday my day will come. And if you are a public figure at all on the internet, someday your your day will come. come. It's going to come. Like, that's just a reality. And 
no, there are no cookies for acknowledging nope. that you're scared of it. We're all scared of it. It's going to suck when it happens. It did suck when it did happen. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's just no secret. But this is what we have as public now. This is where criticism happens. And so everybody's flawed. Let's just not point out anyone's mistakes is not productive. We can do a better job and be more humane about the way we point out mistakes. We can call it out when people are abusive in the way that they point out mistakes. But we also need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater and dismiss all of the criticism because some of it was issued in a poor fashion. Yeah. And I don't and maybe I've missed it, but like certainly in the book where I post today, no one is calling for like Smith to be pushed out on an ice flow here. I've seen tweets that actually said we've burned someone at the stake. Like, no one's calling for a boycott on his books. No one's calling for an end to his career. (laughs) Yeah, You know, like, this is probably a thing that's not even going to make it off the internet. Mm -hmm. He's going to continue to sell books. He's going to go on tour. He's going to keep doing events. He's going to do other interviews with people who have never even heard about this whole kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is not burning someone at the stake. Then. And the equating of any kind of public criticism with like the YA community eating their own. And isn't it hard (laughs) enough to be a YA author? We should just not criticize anyone. Totally unproductive. And the thing I said before on Twitter, I said it sarcastically, but I do mean it. I said, isn't it funny how we know that publishing is a sexist industry and yet there are no individual instances of sexism? Because mm-hmm. they because things get called out and like there's always excuses or you're trying, but where is it? This is where well, it this is where it lives, and the most sort of benign and benign's the wrong word. The most sort of common form and common meaning like that's just sort of all around. This is where it. This is the root that's left. You're not going to get people. You're not going to get emails sort of from the CEO of whatever publishing company saying, "Boy, women are terrible, aren't they?" <laughs> right. You're just not going to get that because this is where it lives. In this sort of it's insidious a way now. of people living in the world where they can feel like they are ignorant to all things women and female, and that that somehow is not just a thing that exists, but it's somehow natural. Because people even think that well, of course he he grew up with a family of four boys. Of course he doesn't know anything about girls. Where was he in school? Where where? How can? I just don't it's I think it's categorically impossible for this statement to be true that he's ignorant to all things women and female. What's more interesting to me that he believes it to be true. Mm-hmm. That that somehow he doesn't even recognize what he knows about humans as being applicable to women. That's that's the thing I can't that's the thing that sort of is so <laughs> amazing to me. And The thing about people not wanting to acknowledge that there are individual people displaying sexist tendencies within publishing, when we can acknowledge that publishing is sexist, there are people in the comments and all up in my Twitter feed today saying, let's just have a comment about sexism without making someone an example of it. Let me tell you what happens (laughs) when you try to have a conversation about the concept of sexism without providing any examples. People ask for examples. You get get men saying, that's not real. And if it were, you would have provided examples. And then when you provide examples, you get people, men and women saying, well, that can't That's be real nice. because That's not nice. because Please you're not be nice being nice. Yeah. I care absolutely zero percent about being nice. Yeah, yeah being nice has, ne- has never uh, has never brought down the uh, the uh, Bastille. 
Yeah, you, it's, you can be kind, you can be humane, you can be concerned, you can be ethical, but I care 0% about being nice, being nice, being reasonable, being a lady who's palatable, that gets nothing done. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've burned <laughs> ourselves out here. And um, I would apologize for going on long about it, but I'm not in the mood. Just not sorry, bro. Yeah, um, you know, this is what we care about today. Um, we have another great sponsor we and we do. do have new books. We do. Let's go Rodney House Audiobooks. Go to tryaudiobooks.com. What audiobooks have been a godsend to me. And and that's maybe strong, but also maybe not. So I I am now um let's see, let me look at my spreadsheet. I am now uh, eleven for eleven in twenty fifteen audiobooks. All my all my reading and okay, the language is weird because you're not really lean, reading, you're listening. But eleven for eleven of my books consumed this year. Boy, I hate that word even more. Are <laughs> audiobooks. Let's just go with reading. Can we, I know, but it, the the inner the inner um, uh, jerk in me doesn't like it. Um, well, tamp him down. T- you're putting tamp, a book tamp into tamp your down, brain. Tamp down the jerk. Um, eleven <laughs> for eleven. So what you can do is you go to tryaudiobooks.com, and one thing they can do is help you figure out books that are applicable for the task you are doing. So it's springtime and it's gardening season. And I don't know if it's because I'm I'm an old man now at the, the tender age of 37, but gardening is something I kind of want to do now. Like I kind of want a little vegetable patch or whatever, and I don't know. Maybe, oh, yes. This, it's a good thing. Do you have one? Do you have a good I, thing, vegetable well, patch? Well, we there is one at my house, but I am not responsible oh, for okay. it. Oh, um, okay. Interesting. But my husband, who's only 32 but is an oh, old man. Bob and I need to has, talk about gardening sometime. I'd like to do. know some you can, tips and tricks. You can, he has, he's had a garden in our house for the last – or in our yard for the last mm, seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good. I love nothing more than like in the middle of summer, going barefoot out to the backyard and picking tomatoes and pulling some leaves off the basil bush and then coming in and slicing fresh mozzarella <laughs> and feeling like some magical hippie nature woman. <laughs> it's great. Um, but gardening is one of those tasks, and I think I've said it before. There's a lot of them in your daily life. I've even tried this that are amenable to listening to an audiobook at the same time. So one thing mm-hmm. um, Random House Audiobooks has done at tryaudiobooks.com/gardening is giving you some picks that you think uh, they think would be great for listening to while working on the garden. One they suggest is a new debut bestseller, Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Janet Ivanovich's Top Secret 21. I don't think I've ever said her name out loud, though I've read it thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Ivanovich's Top Secret 21 and Ruth Reichel's Delicious! Exclamation point. Those are a few. If you go to tryoutbooks.com slash gardening, you can find some more. I feel like The Girl on the Train is such an excellent audiobook pick, but also you might accidentally dig a six-foot yeah, deep hole getting, because you're it's grossed. so good. Um, what I'm listening to currently is actually an interesting audiobook pick for gardening. I think it's Bill Bryson's At Home, and it's his history of the domestic sphere, sort of starting in Victorian England, sort of the modern home through, well, I'm only about halfway into it, so I'm not sure what it gets through, but it talks about all the way, thing, you know, l- how we first used light in homes and servants and food and bread and fish and the cellar and how we kept warm, like going all the way back, you know, to the days of the open hearth. Where basically, you, the way you heated your hall in uh, Scotland in 10,000 AD was you just had a huge fire <laughs> and there was no fireplace because <laughs> you didn't have materials that could withstand it very well. And you just had a big hole in your roof and you had a big bonfire every night. And everyone slept in the same room, and they did all the other things that you do in the same room, if you know what I'm saying, and you do. Oh, um, and, you know, it's just, uh, it's just really, really interesting as he sort there. of walks through 
a home to give you a history of, you know, the kitchen and then where things were and how you got water in and out and how you kept things warm. Uh, It's really interesting. And and I'm sure there's going to be a part about the garden or at least the larder and the pantry and refrigerators and ice. And it's just super, super fascinating. I cannot believe that you're not just exploding our Hey, Did You Know channel. Oh, I've got one for you. I'll do it right now. We have a Hey, Did You Know channel in our our back channels. So uh, Shakespeare's Globe Theater... Uh, had capacity for 2,000 people. I've been there, and I knew this. I knew that fact. Okay. But what I didn't know is that that, at the time, was 1% of London's total population. So a full house meant 1% of all wow. Londoners were seeing were Romeo and Juliet, which if you're in New York, 1% of New York would be, I don't know. So many. It, it's like 80,000. I guess it's the equivalent of like... Uh, 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 How many people does the Barclays? Yeah, I was going to say that's like Madison the equivalent of like the the Meadowlands where the Giants mm. and Jets play. I think it's around eighty thousand people. Yeah, because one percent of eight million is about eighty thousand. So it's an NFL game type event to go see Romeo and Juliet at the Globe Theater, um, which is interesting. So very interesting books, about sixteen hours long. This Bryson does this super well. Takes sort of everyday kinds of topics. And dives deep, and his writing is wry and funny and entertaining. And packed with facts to annoy oh, your friends and loved you're ones. You're going to be elbowing everyone around <laughs> you with a, did you, did you know, did you know? So that's my pick. Do you have an audiobook pick right now? I didn't it's even know. It's not ask. Random House. Okay, so we'll leave it here for now. But I'd go check out audiobooks. Tryalbooks.com slash gardening is the what they want you to check out at this time. It's spring. is springing. Um, find an audiobook to uh, listen to while you... Um, spade your whatever's that you do in the garden. <laughs> all right, tell me about some new books. <laughs> I'm still recovering from all the other things you do in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> They're all there. They have, I, They're apparently. Okay, really, really good books out this week. Uh, the first is The Tusk That Did the Damage by Tanya James. I have not read a novel quite like this before. It's set in South India. It's about the ivory trade. There are three narrative perspectives. One is first person from a woman who's making a documentary film about the ivory trade and about a man who works on an elephant sort of conservatory reservation area. One of the narrative voices is an elephant poacher. And the other narrative perspective is a close third person about the elephant. Whoa. One, yeah. Was not ready One, for that. Okay. Yeah. One um, one elephant who is well-known in this area and is called the Grave Digger. And so we get in the head of the documentary filmmaker and we get in the head in the first person I voice of the poacher. And then we get the narr- sort of the third. Well, it is third person. We get third person narration, but that takes us into the head and the experience of the Grave Digger elephant from when he is very small and he watches his mother be killed by poachers and then is captured and like taken into captivity and used as a show piece at basically circuses and performances and is mistreated and abused. Um, if elephant, or not if, if elephant mistreatment in particular, or if animal cruelty in, in general is a trigger or a really difficult thing for you to read, fair warning about mm. this one. It's rough. Um, but I that was the pitch that got me hooked. I think Laura Vandenberg, who is an author that I really like, recommended this uh, online, and I was like, "There's a perspective from the elephant." 
<laughs> and I just like that could go really wrong, right? Mm. But it is the most interesting of the three voices in the book. And it's a pretty short book. I think it's only about 220, 230 pages long. Um, I read it in a couple of sittings and I was just captivated. It's also sort of a part of the world that I don't know much about. I don't know much about the ivory trade other than, you know, the overarching themes of, of this being cruel to animals and unethical in a lot of ways, but um, it seems very well researched. And that's a, it's a huge gutsy decision to functionally make one of your main characters an elephant that the reader is in the elephant's head. And I thought that it paid off mm. extremely well. It's a, it's a really brave and interesting narrative choice. And I really appreciated it. Cool. Um, another really, it is a, re a really big, very difficult emotionally book um, that's out this week is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara. You might recognize the name because she wrote The People in the Trees, which came out last mm -hmm. year and was really beloved. Um, I haven't read that one yet, but I kept hearing about how A Little Life was just a knockout. It's like 700 pages long. Um, it's about four men who meet in college and become very close friends. And then it tracks several decades of their life after that. And there are rotating chapters about the different men and their different friendships with each other. But it really zooms in on one of them in particular named Jude, who had a very difficult, abusive childhood, and is spending the rest of his life trying to recover from that and be you know, just a successful adult to have a life that he enjoys to have relationships that are loving and healthy. And it's incredibly difficult. Um, I don't know that I've ever been so captivated and moved and also had mm. my heart broken so much on behalf of a character. It's she writes about experiences and thoughts that I am thankful and lucky to never have had, but it's so believable and powerful. And again, if that's a, if trigger, if you, if, if this is a trigger for you, particularly if self-harm or child abuse are, that's a, a thing to consider yep. going into this book. Like, I know you have a hard time reading oh, about bad stuff yeah, happening no. to kids. I would not. Not that everyone there. doesn't have a heart. I'm not saying like people like enjoy yeah, yeah. or something, but like, I'm actually like, yeah, shut, I get shut down, you know, it's right. like, it's, <laughs> this, system, it's, this, systems yeah, this, get overloaded. This is a hard, it's a hard book to talk about because it's such a diff it's it's an emotionally difficult experience so it's not like i enjoyed that book but what she does is remarkable and the risks that she's taken in telling this story how real and human it is i think this is the like so we've had conversations before about seeing some difficult things in fiction and having that sense of like that's real life yeah, somehow right she gets at what we are mm inside. Um, I thought it was really incredible. I'll be surprised if I read a better book this year or next year or for a while. It's it's really phenomenal. So that's A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara. And if you're in the mood more for some nonfiction, Dead Wake, which is about the sinking of the Lusitania oh, by Eric Larson. That's right. That's this week. Is out this week. Yeah. He wrote The Devil in the White mm -hmm. City, The Beasts in the Garden, or sorry, In the Garden of Beasts, um, and Thunderstruck, you know, interesting, historical, well-researched sort of almost micro-histories of like particular moments Yeah, I guess we use micro-histories to be like co that COD book, right? Where it takes right, sort of one salt. object. This yeah. is more like, you know, specific event 
sort of histories. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's deeply out, I, researched, like mm-hmm. really immersive. The Devil in the White City is like yeah, just it's a great. ripping good read, you know, nonfiction or right, otherwise. He, he takes these historical moments and contextualizes them and tells these big compelling, like you said, immersive stories that I think Eric Larson is one of those that we point to for people who are like, oh, nonfiction's boring. It's like, uh, well, you haven't met Eric Larson yet, have you? (laughs) Uh, And so that's a dead wake and it's out this week also. So you've got some choices there, whether you want to cry for animals or cry for humanity and a little life will make you cry. I promise no matter who you are. We cry for elephants. We cry for elephants in that. Um, It's like we had a Dumbo moment. (laughs) It didn't make me cry, but I'm a little stony with books. Oh, okay. But a little life just like I was holding my breath and there were a couple moments. Mm. I haven't really bawled over a book since Matterhorn. Oh, really? That's Mm -hmm. interesting. Hmm. That was like I woke up my husband in the middle of the night because I was like racked. We both love Matterhorn and it's very moving. I'm, I'm surprised, though, that that was the last one. I wouldn't have guessed that. I get a little teary, but that was the last book that just like broke me. Mm. Well, but then that was before I got abused on the internet. (laughs) Well, that's our show, show, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Book Riot Podcast. Um, When we get run off the internet, uh, you'll know this was our last show. Um, As always, you can find show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast podcast we'll have links to the books and stories we talked about this week you can email us with feedback podcast at bookriot.com though if you say something nasty you um probably won't get a great response if you get one at all uh and you can find us on twitter i'm at the jeff o'neill she's at rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y thanks so much to scribd uh go to scribd.com slash bookriot that's s-c-r-i-b-d.com slash bookriot thanks so much to try audiobooks.com Go to tryoutbooks.com slash gardening. Thank you so much to the winner's choice by, and the name escapes the, me all of a sudden. The winner's crime, Marie Rutkowski. The winner's crime, the winner's crime. Um, and uh, let's see, you can find Go to, information about the Book Riot Live coming to you the first week in November at bookriotlive.com. $119 tickets. There's 100 or so left. And uh, maybe a couple days left on those if you want to pull the trigger there. And uh, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. We enjoy doing the show, um, even and maybe even especially when we've got a lot on our minds. <laughs>